I am glad to see you all here this morning. My name is Brian. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm going to be bringing the teaching this morning. But I need to tell you some family news first. We're going to celebrate together. This happened yesterday. This is Brent and Amber Box, and they joined together in a family yesterday. Yeah. So congratulations to them. They're right here. Please make your way over to them after services and congratulate them and their new family together. They're part of Rick and Paula Beecham's small group, Connect Group. And uh, you didn't know when we talk about bringing people you know, closer to God and each other through Jesus, this is, <laughs> this is literally part of our mission. We really do. So their small group is awesome. Rick, who's the leader of that group, actually performed their ceremony. So if you're thinking about this for yourself, we've got some qualified people here who can do that for you. And I'm really happy for you guys. We pray for God's richest blessings on you and your new family together. And uh, yeah, we just, we love people here at Connection. And if you are new here, we're glad you came. You're the reason that we're here, connecting people to God and each other through Jesus. And it's uh, why we built this building. It's why we're saying to Darden Prairie, we're here for you. We're here to get you closer to God. So I'd love to meet you if I haven't already met you after service. And uh, so glad you're here. So three months ago, I saw this in the news, a former Texas corrections officer was sentenced to 50 years in prison. He goes from working for the prison system to being in prison. What he did, he received this after pleading guilty to stealing $1.2 million worth of fajitas. Oh, yeah, like, how do you do that? That's the first question I have. How do you steal a million dollars worth of fajitas? Well, here it gets really good. The fajita bandito is Gilberto Escamilla, and he used to work at the Cameron County Juvenile Justice Department. And things went south for him when he wasn't at work one day when a delivery showed up. The person who answered the phone was usually him, but the phone rang and somebody else picked it up. And on the phone is somebody saying, I've got your 800-pound of fajita order here to deliver. The person who answered the phone says, we don't serve fajitas here. To which the delivery driver says, well, that's odd because I've been delivering fajitas here for nine years. That's when start, things start going like, what's going on here? Uh, and so, which they, this is weird. Gilberto was fired from his job immediately. The next day, police officers went and arrested him. And when they searched his house, they're opening refrigerators in the garage in the house. There's just fajita meat everywhere. So here's what happened. Gilberto's day job is with the juvenile department. He had a side hustle going on. I think you can see where this is going. He had like a, basically a Mexican food truck. And the way he bought his food was he allowed the, the state of Texas to buy the food that he would then deliver himself. You know, that, this is a great idea until you get caught, right? <laughs> this, is, this is so many things about this that I just go, oh, my gosh. Because I'm thinking, first of all, if you stole it, how could you eat a million dollars of fajitas? I could get close. Some of you could. But this isn't the gluttony message, so that's, you know, this is what he did. This is what he said when he was sentenced to his 50 years. And they, they really threw the book at him because they wanted to set an example. Like, you're part of the justice system. You shouldn't be doing this. He said, well, man, it was selfish. It started out small, and it got bigger and out of control. It got to the point where I couldn't control it anymore. And I just look at that, and I go, man, is that not an example of what greed will do to your life? And I, I would say that Gilberto's not going to show up here because he's got things to do for the next 50 years. But if he did, I'm not judging him. Like, I understand what it's like to get greed rooted in your life. I think you probably could say the same thing when that passion for more and more takes over that insatiable appetite that says, I need more. Whatever I've got's not enough. I've got to add more to my life. And, you know, then at, at what point, let me just ask you a thing about this. At what point in your life do you feel like it's okay now? I've got enough. I'm secure. We're going to be okay. Do you ever feel the opposite of that? Do you ever feel like, hmm, I just feel a little uncertain here. I don't feel like the retirement's right where it needs to be. I don't feel like we've got enough coming in every week. Do you, 
which end of the spectrum do you live on? When do we ever reach that point where you go, it's all good, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm content. I read a story, this is a very personal story, it was in the New York Times a couple of years ago. It was about a Wall Street investment banker named Sam Polk. He actually wrote the piece himself, he was talking about himself. And it's a story about how once greed gets its fingers around your neck, it doesn't let go. I'll just read some of what he wrote, because this is so powerful. He said, eight years ago, I walked onto the trading floor at a bank in Boston to begin my summer internship. I already knew I wanted to be rich. When I walked onto that trading floor for the first time, saw those glowing flat screen TVs, high-tech computer monitors, and phone turrets, I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was competitive, ambitious. After graduation, I got a job at Bank of America. I was sharp, clear-eyed, hardworking. At the end of my first year, I was thrilled to receive a $40,000 bonus. Wouldn't we all be? For the first time in my life, I didn't have to balance my checkbook before withdrawing money. Over the next few years, I worked like a maniac, climbed the ladder. Four years later, I made $2 million a year, rented a $6,000 a month apartment in New York, got myself a girlfriend. I could go to any restaurant in Manhattan, be on the second row at the Knicks-Lakers game just by picking up the phone. Still, I was nagged by envy. On a trading floor, everyone sits together. When the guy next to you makes $10 million, your $2 million doesn't look so sweet anymore. So I went to work for a hedge fund, working elbow to elbow with billionaires, and I became a giant fireball of greed. In my eighth year on Wall Street, my bonus was $3.6 million. My bonus was $3.6 million, and I was angry because it wasn't enough. Long story short, Sam said that year was a wake-up call for him. He had a few things that just made him go, what am I doing? He, he woke up to what greed was doing to him. He quit Wall Street. He walked away. He said for the first few months, it was horrible. He would wake up in a cold sweat, worried that he wasn't going to have enough money anymore. Eventually, that feeling subsided as he put more and more things in place into his life to push the greed away. But he admitted at the end of the article, he still sometimes buys lottery tickets. I can relate to that. Long story short, man, it's just what greed does to you. And we've been going through what are known as the seven deadly sins in this message series. And as we've talked about things like anger and pride and lust and sloth and envy, we're just saying, you know, the Bible warns us about these things for a reason. God says these things are bad because they have this, this way when you live this way with these sins of just like completely destroying your life and shipwrecking your faith and hindering your future potential and you know, poisoning your relationships and just, you know, creating a mess where there could be something good. And so God says, I want you to stay away from these things. They're not good for you. And when we talk about today, we're going to talk about one of the seven deadly sins of greed. This is something that was so important to Jesus, he actually spent some time talking about it. So as Jeff said in the video, if you've already got your Bible open to Luke 12, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you've got like maybe the Bible app on your phone, you just look for Luke chapter 12. And if you've got an analog version and you're kind of newer to it, don't be afraid to go to the table of contents. That's why it's there. So, uh, Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen if you want to follow along. So I'm just going to read one verse right now, just a clear, succinct teaching that Jesus gave about greed. And it's in Luke 12, 15. Jesus then said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see that right there? And just We'll leave this up here so you can look at this. I want to break this down. So the first thing, when you're looking at a verse in the Bible, this is just always a good practice. If there's a word in there or something you don't understand... 
one thing you can do is just zoom out and read the verses around it. Because it says here, Jesus said to them, and you go like, who's the them? Is it me? Is it other people? Well, when you zoom out, what you realize is the reason Jesus gave this teaching in this verse is because right before this, Jesus had been teaching a crowds of thousands of people. And in the middle of the teaching, there were like two guys in the front. And they weren't paying attention to Jesus at all. They're like arguing with each other. Finally, I imagine it, they like literally interrupted Jesus' teaching. And the one guy goes to Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like he couldn't listen to what Jesus was teaching because he's so upset with his brother who would not divide the inheritance with him. And there's a whole backstory to what might have been going on there about who's the oldest brother, and they get a double portion of the inheritance. But, you know, Jesus has this great answer. And you can read all this if you were to go back. We're not going to go there. But Jesus basically says, first of all, dude, what business of this is mine? Do not put me in the middle of your family squabble. This is like, why do you think that I have an opinion about your brother dividing the inheritance with you? But I do want to tell you this. I want you to be aware of what greed can do to your life because as I look at you two, you guys got a serious case of greed going on. You guys need to watch out for all kinds of greed because like, it'll destroy your life. Your life is more than just the stuff that you've got. You guys, people Jesus was first talking to, but he could be talking to all of us, you are convinced that your life will not be complete until you get everything that you think is owed to you. For those guys, you, you think your life's not going to be complete until you have more of your parents' stuff. Do you see how messed up this thinking is? See, if you want to write this down in the worship folder you got when you came in, greed distorts you, your reality, by convincing you that you don't have enough. It's one of the first things when greed gets into your heart and you're infected by that, it just says, you just start to get the sense that whatever I've got, it's not enough. And I like to say it this way. One of the first things that greed does is it disables your enough sensor. We have a Labrador retriever, and when it comes to food, if you know anything about labs, they don't have an enough sensor when it comes to food. If we left a 50-pound bag of food out, our Rosie would eat the entire bag. Her stomach would explode, and she'll just keep eating. She didn't have an enough sense. And greed will do that to you. No matter how much you have, you will never feel like you've made it to the finish line or that you're okay and it's complete. It, you know, Because Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It's not how much stuff you got. But greed says, yeah, it does. <laughs> That's why he had to say that. Because we exactly think, like, my life is good, but it will be better with more stuff. And I need more. And a lot of people believe that's true. Here's something else you may want to write down. Greed is easy to see in other people, and it's so difficult to see in yourself. So difficult to see this in the mirror. I appreciate what Pastor Andy Stanley wrote in his book, Enemies of the Heart. And he, he just leaves a list of what greedy people are like. What I would like you to do as I read these, I don't want you to start thinking about people you know who are like this, even though as I say some of these things, you're going to go, oh, I know someone like that. I want you to try as hard as this is to just look in the mirror and say, am I like that? And you're in a place, you're in a good, safe place. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's thinking bad thoughts about you. Everybody's, you know, this is a good, safe place for you just to be open to what God might be trying to whisper in your ear. Let me just read some of these things Andy Stanley wrote. Greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. Constant conversation. Know anyone like that? Greedy people are not cheerful givers. They don't enjoy being generous to other people. Greedy people don't like to share. They just don't do that. Greedy people squibble over insignificant amount of money. In the restaurant, splitting the bill. Uh, whatever it is that you split a Christmas present, whatever, they quibble over little things. Like, why are we even arguing about this? Greedy people act as if they have barely enough to get by. It's always poor talk, but you know that they actually have plenty. 
How about this? You know anybody like this? Or do you see this in the mirror? Greedy people don't let you forget what they've done for you. It's always a constant reminder. How about this? Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude or thanks. It's almost like they're entitled to what they've got. Like they deserve everything they've been given. You know, here's another one. Greedy people are not content with what they already have. It's not enough. And this one's a big one. Greedy people attempt to control other people with their money or their gifts. There's always a string attached. I'm going to give this to you, but I'm going to expect something in return. I want you to change your ways. I want you to do something differently. And as I said, greed, it's so easy to see in other people, isn't it? It's so obvious when you're talking about someone else. Go like, you're just greedy. You're just obsessed with money and stuff. All you care about that. But why do we not recognize it in ourselves? You might want to write this down. Greed is so hard to self-diagnose because it often disguises itself as a virtue. We're talking about somebody else. You're greedy. But when I'm the one that's being accused of being greedy, well, I have good reasons for why I'm doing or saying what I'm saying or doing. Like, again, I think this was from Andy Stanley. Like, when, when it's you, you're being stingy. But when it's me, I'm just being responsible with my finances, unlike you. I'm careful with my money. You're obsessed with money, but I'm just preparing for the future. I'm a good saver. See, what we do here, we make it into a virtue. Uh, here's another one. You work too much, but me, when I do it, I'm just taking care of my family, and I'm a good provider. And this is another one. You worry too much, but when it's me, I just have an appropriate level of concern for potential future problems. Or here's another one. You're selfish, but I like nice things. And I take care of my things, unlike you or other people I know. Therefore, I don't just you know, willy-nilly lend my stuff out to people who will not treat my stuff with the appropriate care and concern that I treat with myself. Do you see what we do here? When it's somebody else, it's easy to see it as greed. When it's us, we've always got a reason and we justify it. It's so easy to do that. We just have this capacity to, to self-justify with lots of things, and greed is one of those areas where it's really prominent. But the thing that Jesus is warning us about is greed is an insatiable appetite, and once it starts, there never comes a point where you go, okay, I'm okay now. You never reach that point. I was very interested to read this. The World Cup going on educated me on something that I did not know. Who in the world, the entire world, are the highest paid athletes, individuals? Soccer. I had no idea there was soccer players. Number one is actually Floyd Mayweather, a boxer. But the, a lot of the next athletes aren't football, uh, baseball, or basketball players in the United States, which is what I would have thought. It's soccer players. Number two and number three, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. My gosh, these soccer players or football players are making an amazing amount of money. Here's something that I found really interesting. Here's how soccer, pro soccer players know that they've made it. There's always the young players who come in. They're the rookies. They see all the big guys with their stuff, and they start aspiring to that. One of the first things, I was reading this article, it said that the new guys, when they come in, they see all the pro players when they're going to go into the restroom. They've got this thing. We would call it a toiletry bag. They call it um, a wash bag. All the guys who are making all the big bucks are carrying something made by Gucci or Louis Vuitton. Did I say that right, Vuitton? Who knows? <laughs> I want to be friends with those people. So they'll, they'll carry this toiletry bag. That right there boggles my mind. That's either $500 to $1,000 for that little bag. My gosh, I should be making toiletry bags and selling them to soccer players. And so the pro guys are in there. They're all walking to the restroom with their $1,000 Louis Vuitton bag. All the new guys are going, oh, I want that. And so one of the guys, uh, his name was Hector Bellerine, said, you can tell, because we all get paid on the 28th of the month, the first paycheck that the new guys get the next time they're there going to the restroom, they're carrying one of these bags. 
Nothing says I've arrived like carrying a woman's toiletry bag. To... <laughs> I hope that they're not listening to this message. I'm in trouble. You know what the next thing is? They start looking at what the, the older guys are driving, and it just never stops. You know, suddenly the car I'm driving is not good anymore. I need what the wealthier guys are driving. And it's just what greed does to you. I'm not saying it's so wrong to drive a nice car or have a nice bag. That's fine. But that's why Jesus warned us to be careful, to be on our guard. Because pretty soon, what I had and used to be fine is no longer fine. Now I need that. Because not only do I need that, I need to advertise to everyone else. Look how I'm progressing. You know, it's just... So Jesus told the story right after that little teaching to reinforce what he was saying. Let me just go ahead and read the story that Jesus told. This is in verse 16. Here we go. So he said, you know, be careful. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Then he told him this parable, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He said to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, oh, I've got it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then here's the kicker. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Jesus is teaching. Just keep in mind, this is a story that Jesus made up. He's talking about a farmer. And then go ahead and look at, can you go back to the first verses here, verse 16? Or maybe just in your own Bible, look at this. What kind of a farmer are we dealing with here? The ground of a certain rich man. He's already doing really well. He's already going into the season with more than he needs. This is not a couple of Kansas sodbusters, gaunt and thin, barely subsisting through the, the season. He's already made it. He's, and listen to how he describes his dilemma. I have nowhere to store my crops. You mean other than those barns and silos you've already got? Yeah, but it won't fit. I'm just going to assume that when he built those first barns and silos, he made them plenty big enough for everything he would ever need. So it's kind of like a billionaire going, like somebody just gave me a million dollars for Christmas. He's already loaded. What does he need another set of barns for? Now, go ahead and look through here again and just count how many times he refers to himself. What am I going to do with my crops? This is what I will do. Now, I'm not a farmer, but, and maybe Ginger can help us because she did spend a lot of time on a farm in the last few weeks. Uh, aren't there a lot of things about farming that are outside of your control? Like, if I could control the weather, I would have already. Can't control how much the rain is going to do, the soil quality. There's just so many things that are, you know, really in God's domain, not yours. But he's like, it's all me. Look what I've done. I'm wealthy, and I'm just, you know, I deserve this. Andy Stanley says it this way. He's so consumed with conserving and maintaining what he received, it never occurred to him to ask God, what do you want me to do with this excess that you have blessed me with? It just never occurs to him because greed says, this is all for me, it's all for my benefit. And Jesus says this. Greed, here's what's wrong with it. It prevents us from being generous toward God. You can write that down if you want to think about it. This is why Jesus called him a fool. Remember, Jesus told the crowd, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Owning a lot of stuff doesn't make you more secure and safe. Owning a lot of stuff doesn't mean that you live any longer. When you're going to die, you're going to die, which is a question that I've always had about this story. 
did God strike him dead because he said he's going to build bigger barns? Do you ever think that? Like, is this a punishment for what he was saying? I don't think so. The first thing we need to keep in mind is, this is a story Jesus made up. Like, no farmers were harmed in the making of this story. This is not a real guy. So Jesus is trying to get a point across, right? And what he's saying is, dude, you're going to die tonight regardless. You could be stingy, you're going to die tonight. You could be incredibly generous, you're going to die tonight. You could just leave the crops in the field. You're going to die tonight regardless of what you do. Wouldn't it have been wise to make some good choices to consult God? Because tomorrow, somebody else is going to be dealing with all of your stuff. Today, while you're still alive, you had the opportunity to ask God, what should I do with the extra stuff that you've blessed me with? And he chose to go with greed, but there were other ways that he could have gone. And that's the whole point Jesus is trying to make us think. We have the same choice. Anytime that we have things in our lives that we're in control of, we have the choice. Am I going to be greedy and save it all to myself and then hope for more? Or am I going to at least give God the option to talk to me about what he wants me to do with the excess? I find this interesting. Again, remember, zoom out. If you go a little further, immediately as soon as this story is over, Jesus starts teaching his followers about not worrying because those things are so closely tied together. Do you know why the Bible links greed and idolatry? I don't know if you've ever seen that. If you're a person who's read the Bible, you may have noticed that greed is idolatry. Because what do you do when, not that you do, but if you were to pray to an idol, what are you doing? Are you not asking this statue or this figurine for divine assistance? You're asking for security? And in the same way, greed seeks our money as the source of our security. I'm looking to have enough money to take care of things if something goes wrong. I'm looking to my money to make me feel secure for the future. If I have enough money, I won't have to worry anymore. That's idolatry. Because you're no longer trusting God, who is your father, who knows what you need before you even ask it. And you're suddenly asking stuff to help you and provide you security. That's why Jesus says, don't worry. Your heavenly father already knows what you need. You should be trusting him, not your money. And then you go a little further down. Verse 32, I'll read this out of the New Living Translation. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to those in need. This will store up for you treasures in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old, they never develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there also. You you think about what eternity is like. You think what it means to truly live somewhere forever, and then you think about how our lives, if you live to be 100, it's like this much of a long line, and we worry so much about this part of our existence, not realizing that God's in control of all of it. So Jesus is trying to get us to stop and think, what is greed doing to your life? And it doesn't have to do that. You can trust your heavenly Father. I want to move on to the solution side of this real quick. So I, I like finding the antidote to some of these deadly sins. I don't want to just, like, punch people in the face. The th- interesting thing about greed is the thing that cures ge- greed is also the thing that prevents it in the first place. It's like scurvy. You don't want to get scurvy, eat a lime, get some vitamin C. If you've got scurvy, what do you do? Eat a lime, get some vitamin C. Same thing with greed. Generosity both prevents greed. And if you think you might be dealing with greed, generosity is the way to solve it. to to cure it. I like what Pastor Brian Wilkerson said. He said, generosity is the healthy habit that frees us from greed. It leads us to contentment. 
When we give money away, when we give stuff away, when we share what we have freely with others, we break the grip of greed. We pry its fingers off of our throats. Do you know anybody who's wealthy and generous? I do. Are they, if you do know somebody like that, or you can just think, I'll just tell you right now. Um, oh, I just lost his name. Uh, well, Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates. Incredibly wealthy, incredibly generous. Uh, who's the guy who lives in Kansas who's like one of the wealthiest people in the world? Warren Buffett, thank you. How come I couldn't think of him? Warren Buffett, incredibly generous. Are they not the happiest people, right? Generous people are happy people. Do you not also know wealthy people who are some of the most miserable people you know? I bet you there's a lot of greed going on there. And it runs all the way across the economic spectrum. You, you, you can't say, well, well, I'm not rich, therefore I'm not greedy. Like, you can be greedy at any economic and income level. This is the answer to it. I'll tell you for me personally, and I'll speak for my wife, Kirsten, Never regretted anything that we've done that was generous. Never regretted giving something away. There's been times where we're like, oh, I don't know if we should do, like, are, are we going to be okay if we do this? We've done it, and God's taken care of us. It's like there actually is a God in heaven who knows what we need before we even know that we need it and is taking care of us. Now, I want to give you a couple of things. Like, you're going, like, I would love to be generous. What do I do? Two really practical things very quickly. Then uh, the Bible actually commends this. Practice intentional generosity. That's like what we did with the offering time. It, the Bible often talks about in the Old Testament about giving a tithe, which is 10% of what you have. We encourage the Connection Christians who are members here, start with a tithe. Take 10% of your income, give it to God. That's being intentional with your giving. And so many of you are so generous, you do that, and you even go beyond that. That's great. Here's a, you might be pushing back a little bit on that, especially if you're newer. So if you're new here, don't let this keep you from coming back. We don't talk about money all the time, and I'm not angling for a pay raise, I, you know. Not looking for a new car here. I'm not being self-serving when I talk about giving to the offering. My salary is not contingent on what you give in the offering. It's not like I'm on a commission here. Uh, I really, I want something for you, not something from you. But this is really going to be good for you if you would do this. And, and I know some of you might say, well, I even think in theory that's a good idea, but nobody has extra cash just laying around. You say, like, take 10% of my income. I don't know where I'm going to get it. I will tell you this. And people here can affirm this. And there'll be people who tell you their story. When they started tithing and giving, they didn't have extra either, but God took care of them. That's what generosity does for you. You get into God's economy when you start doing that. And he'll take care of you. Now, some of you, you're like, you've got that. Here's another layer I would suggest. To practice intentional giving, but then also practice spontaneous generosity. Now, I'm not talking, this is, well, actually, this would be spontaneous. When the person at the checkout counter says, you want to round up to the next dollar, that's good, do that. But what if somebody just, you see a need, and you, you go like, but I already tithe this week at church, so maybe catch me next week. No, if that, if that need is in front of you, maybe God wants to do something through you so that you all get blessed and you all get benefited. Spontaneous generosity. There's a great verse in 1 Timothy 6. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, the people who are rich in this world shouldn't be proud and shouldn't be arrogant, shouldn't trust in their money, but first of all, enjoy it. If you've got it, God gave it to you, enjoy it. But then the other thing is, use your money to do good. Just spontaneously, as God puts needs in front of you, just help people. This is the best way to live. Anybody ever been to Lake Tahoe out west? I've not been yet. I want to go. That's like on our list of places I want to go. That's a deep lake, isn't it? It's huge. Back in, on the 4th of July, 1875, two guys went out on a boat, and they wanted to see how deep it was. So they took a champagne bottle that had been weighted, tied some fishing line to it, and threw it over the edge of the boat to let it go to see how deep it was. I don't know how much champagne they'd had on the 4th of July before they decided to do this, but 
They threw it out there, and they let it go, and they found out that Lake Tahoe was 1,645 feet deep, which was true. Yeah, it apparently hadn't had so much to drink that they couldn't count. One, two, three, four. It's a deep lake. You could tip Lake Tahoe over. It would cover the entire state of California with one foot of water. You could give every American a straw and say, start drinking, and it's a beautiful lake. And every American could have 50 gallons of water a day for like over a year. That's just how much water there is in Lake Tahoe. And when I think of that, I kind of think of God. Like God is this unlimited source of everything. He created the world from nothing like that. You can trust him. You don't have to depend on yourself. God will take care of you. I would invite you today, if, you know, something I've been saying just rings a bell with you, something you experienced during the worship time, just to, to come to God and ask for his help. Let's seek him out and not trust in ourselves.